we are going to continue the the series that John started last week, which we titled Pray First, because we do think it's really important that the first thing we do is prayer. And um, so we want to continue on that. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to teach on, I kept coming back to 1 Kings chapter 19. And the more I looked at it, the first time I looked at it, I thought, certainly not, because like Elijah prays in this, but he it's not really... A, it's a pretty weak prayer. <laughs> and I thought, well, isn't there a better thing I could teach on with like shows us how to like really pray with power and, you know, like confidence and, um, and God just kept bringing me back to this because I think that it is true with scripture that more often than not, the stories in the Bible are not examples for us to live up to, but they're actually, um, things that instruct us about the character of God and how he comes and meets with us in our weakness. So, um, I think that's what I want to take a look at this chapter uh, in First Kings and Elijah's experience with God, because I think there's some really helpful stuff there for us as we talk about prayer and um, our own humanity in that. Um, so if you want to stand, uh, we'll just start by reading the first 18 verses of First Kings chapter 19. Um, you can look that up in your Bible or we'll actually have them up on the screens if you want to read along that way. So. This is 1 Kings 19, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more so if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank, and then he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank, and he went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, for the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away also. And he said, Go and stand on the, mount, on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek to take my life also. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be the king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. 
This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Go ahead and you can have a seat. So, um, Actually, I think to really understand what's going on in chapter 19, we kind of have to go back and do a quick review of chapter 17 and 18. Um, Jerron touched a little bit on that last week when he was preaching about how Elijah went to the widow and he told the widow to make him some food before she made food for herself and her son, which and she didn't really have any food, um, but then God provided miraculously for him. So that famine that they were in actually began because um, Elijah had come to Ahab and Jezebel and basically the people of Israel and said, because you're worshiping Baal and have turned from God, there's going to be a drought. And it's not going to rain again until, until I say so. And so that drought started and there was a famine because of the drought. And God originally told Elijah, now when this happens, go into the wilderness, hang out by this brook, and I'm going to feed you by having ravens bring you food. So Elijah had been fed and provided by birds. And then when the brook dried up and the birds stopped bringing him food, he went and met with the widow. And the widow provided food for him through God, miraculously like stretching her flour and her oil. And then at some point while Elijah is there with the widow, her son gets sick and dies. And he prays for the son, and the son comes back to life. And then uh, God says, okay, Elijah, now it's time. Go back and talk to Ahab. So he goes back to talk to Ahab. And on the way there, he meets up with Obadiah, who's one of Ahab's servants. And Obadiah tells him that, oh, there's a hundred prophets of God that are still alive, and they're hiding out in this cave, and I've been feeding them. And so that should have encouraged Elijah. And then he went and he talked to it. <laughs> he went and talked to Ahab, and basically challenged all the prophets of Baal to a battle. And that's the story that most people know about Elijah, right? It's like the one on the Mount Carmel where Elijah tells the prophets of Baal to build an altar and Elijah builds an altar and then they're both going to sacrifice this bull and they're going to pray to their gods and whichever god is real is the one that's going to like set fire to the altar. So the prophets of Baal, they dance around and cut themselves and act ridiculous and um, pray to Baal and nothing happens. And Elijah stands there and mocks them and mocks Baal and make, you know, has a good time, right? And then he turns and he prays to God and he says, okay, God, now I just proved to all these people that you're real, you know, burn up the altar. And not only does fire come down to burn up the bull and the sticks and all that, but it burns up the water. Oh, they dumped water on the altar too. Did I say that part right? They soaked Elijah's altar with water. So like it wasn't, it shouldn't burn, but the fire comes down from heaven, burns up the water, the sacrifice, the sticks, the rocks, even the, the scripture says, even the dust was gone. So um, God's fire comes down, consumes all that, and then they round up all the prophets of Baal, and Elijah kills them all with a sword. So that's been Elijah's ministry so far. Like, he prays, God does powerful things. He prays again, God does powerful things. Oh, and then at the end of that, Elijah actually prays, and God ends the drought. So it's a totally sunny day. Elijah prays. And a little cloud comes up and then it rains and, um, and then there's kind of a weird thing in there where Elijah tells Ahab to get going before he gets caught in the rainstorm. And so Ahab gets in his chariot and goes back and then Elijah like gathers up his cloak and, or whatever and he runs and he beats Elijah, or beats Ahab to the castle. I don't know. So I don't know. Some weird stuff there, right? Like Elijah became like a world class sprinter or something. Um, so that's that's where we meet Elijah now. So like he's come off of all these amazing miraculous things that God's done through him. And then uh, Ahab tells Jezebel about the whole thing. And Jezebel gets mad and basically threatens Elijah's life. She's like, we're going to kill him. You know, like tomorrow you'll be dead. And Elijah's response is completely out of character up to this point because rather than being courageous like he has been for the last three years, he's afraid and he runs away. It's kind of strange. Um, and I'm not sure what Elijah was thinking or 
like what got him to that point. Um, we can make some assumptions about why Elijah decided to run, but the reality is he ran and he ran into the wilderness. Maybe he ran to the wilderness because um, in the past, like when he pronounced the drought, God told him to go to the wilderness and hide out. Um, so all through the last three years, God's protected Elijah by telling him to go to the wilderness and then God protects him in the wilderness. So maybe Elijah just thought, well, my life's threatened again. I'm going to go back to where God told me to go the last time. But whatever, whatever Elijah's um, reasoning for it, what we can see here is first thing that Elijah did is he responded first, but he didn't pray first. Um, and so like the whole point of this series is that we would pray first. And that's the, the one thing Elijah didn't do. I mean, this is one of those cases where um, the thing that the guy in the Bible did is the thing that we probably shouldn't do. You know, like sometimes there's, you know, the heroes of the Bible, like actually show us what not to do. And this is one of those situations where Elijah's first response should have been to pray and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? But instead he responded and he ran off. And so here we find him, um, you know, after standing strong for three years, killing 450 men with a sword, um, seeing God do powerful things, he runs off and he's afraid and he isolates himself. He He not only like just runs into the wilderness, but he ditches his servant and he goes even further into the wilderness and he's exhausted and he's there. Um, and I don't know what it is. Charles Spurgeon, in commenting on this, he had this quote. He said, Elijah failed in the very point at which he was the strongest. And that is where most men fail. In Scripture, it is the wisest man who proves himself to be the greatest fool, just as the meekest man, Moses, spoke hasty and bitter words. Abraham failed in his faith. Job failed in his patience. And so he, who was the most courageous of all men, fled from an angry woman. Um, I think this just demonstrates something about all of us, is that the thing that we think we're the best at is probably the thing that we're going to mess up the most. Um, and that would be... Elijah's case too, you know, like here he was like probably one of the most courageous people in the Bible, um, stood up to all the stuff and then he just blew it. <laughs> um, and so here we find him, he's discouraged, he's isolated and his prayer is really, um, really weak. He basically comes to God and he says, okay, I've had enough, just kill me, I'm done. And he's like, he just gave up, he gave up all hope, he gave up you know everything, and I think we all have these similar tendencies. So as I was thinking about what would get Elijah from this point where he's praying and seeing God do powerful things and standing up to the king of Israel and Jezebel the queen and standing up to all these prophets and um, to the point where he's running and hiding. And I think it's maybe a little bit because Elijah had, and this is my speculation, but he spent the last three years praying for the people of Israel and praying for Ahab and Jezebel to see that they were worshiping a God who had no power, a false God, and to turn and repent and return to God and renew the covenant that they had with God. Like That was his prayer. He wanted to see the nation of Israel restored to their covenant with Israel or with God. And so when the thing at Mount Carmel happens, you know, like God shows that he's more powerful than Baal, and Baal's nothing because Baal didn't even respond because he couldn't, right? He's a false god. But um, And then all the prophets of Baal are slaughtered, and Elijah was probably thinking, all right, this is it. This is the breakthrough. Like, I've proved that what they were worshiping is false and that God is the real God, the powerful God, and Jezebel's going to hear about this, and Ahab and Jezebel are going to repent, and then all the people of Israel will follow them, and we'll get back to the covenant, and it'll be great. Like, I don't know if that's what he was thinking, but I can imagine that's what he was thinking. You know, like, all these 
great and powerful things happened and he had expectations and then it didn't happen the way he wanted it to and he got discouraged. And I think that happens to us sometimes. Like we pray for a situation or we're praying for a person or whatever we're praying for and then God answers that prayer and we think, all right, this is it. This is the big breakthrough. And then it doesn't turn out the way we want it to and then we get discouraged and we get depressed and we think, God, are you even listening to me? Like, what is going on? Um, and I think what we'll see as the story goes on is that sometimes when we think that God is doing nothing is actually when he's doing the most thing, you know, like the most powerful thing. Um, and so um, that's where Elijah's at, though. His prayer was really feeble. It wasn't, there was no like, hey, God, thank you for all the powerful and amazing things you've done. Like, help me in this. He was just like, I'm done. Just kill me. I'm over, you know. And uh, God, the way he comes and he meets with Elijah is pretty amazing. And um, so John started this last week where we say, when we pray, God does blank. And so to fill in the blank this week, I want to say, when we pray, God meets us where we are. So here was Elijah in the wilderness, discouraged, afraid, ready to give up. And God met with him right there. It says, um, in verse, kind of the end of verse 5, first part of verse 6, says, And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked with hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank, and he lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he rose and he ate and he drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, to the Mount of God. And there he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And there's a couple things I want to note in this section. So what I'm going to do is like take sections of scripture and then like comment on it. So in this section, the first thing I want to comment on is the fact that the angel of the Lord showed up to talk to Elijah. So when the Bible says the angel of the Lord, it's not just any angel, it's the angel. And most scholars would believe that the angel of the Lord would be synonymous with like Jesus showing up. And meeting with him. So this is the angel that came and showed up and talked to Abraham and told him, you're going to have a son even though you're barren. And this is the angel that showed up and, you know, talked to Joshua before going in to fight all those battles. And so not just any angel, but like God in his physical form showed up and ministered to Elijah, but didn't correct him, didn't interrogate him, just said, here's some food, eat the food, take a nap. You know, and um, I think it's really cool to see that God showed up and, and fed him twice, told him to rest twice. And God isn't, um, I think this shows us that God knows like that we're weak physically. And he isn't ashamed of that. And he isn't like, um, he doesn't, it doesn't stop him from wanting to use us or to draw close to us. You know, like he made us, he know, knows that we need to eat, we need to sleep, that we have, you know, physical needs. And, um, and you know, Jesus, he, he experienced all of that in his lifetime, so he can sympathize with us. So God came and he met with Elijah, and he said, okay, I got some stuff I'm going to, you know, he knew he had some stuff for him to do. He's like, I'm going to have you go on this journey, and it's going to be a difficult, but here, I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to give you what you need right now. I'm going to fill your physical needs right now. And so then um, the other thing is that in this, it says it took him 40 days to get from where he was taking the nap to, to Mount Horeb. And actually, if you look on a map, it should only take like 10 or 15 days to walk from there, you know, to between those two points. But it took him 40 days. And so it's not clear whether God caused Elijah to like get lost and wander around or if um, Elijah, because of his mental state, just chose to like, you know, 
take his time. But whatever it was, it took 40 days. And I think that's significant because we know that Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai sustained only by God. You know, I said Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights with no food or water. And here we see Elijah in the wilderness, in the same wilderness where the Israelites wandered around for 40 years. Here's Elijah wandering around and God sustaining him on just that meal that he provided for him. And, you know, Jesus even, before he starts his earthly ministry, spends 40 days in the wilderness sustained just by the presence of God without food or drink. So, um, I think there's something here for us to learn that God will provide for our physical needs, but then there's also going to be this time of preparation or um, purification maybe where he's going to sustain us supernaturally in ways that don't make any sense, but he's going to be there with us in that. Um, you know, God didn't say anything to Elijah during this time, but it was obvious that he was with him because he sustained him. And then he shows up at um, the Mount Horeb, which actually is Mount Sinai. Um, they're the same place. So Mount Sinai is where, you know, God showed up with Moses and gave the, actually began the covenant that the um, people of Israel now had abandoned, this covenant with them about, you know, the Ten Commandments and all the other laws. And um, and here was Elijah now showing up on Sinai where God began this covenant with them. And then most translations, like almost every translation, actually says that he came to a cave. But... Um, I was reading a couple of commentators, and they said if you actually look at the Hebrew, the Hebrew actually says the cave. Um, and a lot of scholars would believe that it's not just some random cave that Elijah showed up in, but it's actually the cave in Exodus 33 where when Moses asked to see God's glory, God says, I can't show you my glory because you die, but what I will do is I'll put you in this cave and I'll cover you with my hand and then I'll let you see my back as I walk away. Like A lot of scholars believe that Elijah actually went to that cave. So, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but it's kind of cool, right? I mean, if, if if Elijah actually is at Sinai in the cave where God showed up to Moses, it, it kind of like brings depth to the story that's pretty amazing. Um, and so whatever whatever the reason for Elijah going there is, we don't really know, but we know that he went there to find God and to, to um, interact with God. And so um, there he is, and he's in the cave, and then God comes and he invites Elijah into a conversation. Um, he doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't. He just starts a conversation. He's like, "Hey, Elijah, what are you doing here?" Um, and I don't know what God meant by that. Maybe he's saying, "Why are you out in the middle of the wilderness? Like this isn't where I sent you." Maybe he's saying, "Why are you looking for me in this cave? Because you know, like there's the temple in Jerusalem <laughs> where my presence is. Like why didn't you go there to look for me?" I don't. But God's asking him, "Why are you here?" And Elijah's response. Um, It's kind of self-righteous a little bit. Um, He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. It's like, so his response to God doesn't actually answer the question of why he's there specifically, other than the fact that, like, I've been a really good guy, and the people of Israel have been really, like, rebellious, and now they want to kill me. You know, it's kind of like, are you going to do anything about this? Um, and he even exaggerates how bad the situation is, because he says, only I'm left. But yet we know that just a few days before, Obadiah tells him that there's a hundred prophets of God that are hidden away in a cave that have been, you know, taken care of. So he's not the only one left, but he says he's the only one left. And I just think that the way that God responds to him is really gracious and kind and that God doesn't affirm him and say, oh, you're right, Elijah, you've done a great job. I'm just so glad, you know, like you've been so faithful. He doesn't do that, 
But he also doesn't um, rebuke Elijah or correct him. You know, God could have said, no, you know what? You know you're not the only one left. You know there's a hundred guys. And he's, you know, like, God didn't have any of that conversation with him. He just said, okay, go out and stand on the mountain before me. Like, so God invites him into a conversation. The conversation doesn't go real well. And so then God's like, okay, I'm going to invite you in to experience me. And so he invites Elijah to go out and experience him. And this is where God shows up. And it says, And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Um, I think it's interesting to see here that uh, in the past... God's interaction with the people of Israel has generally been through fire, earthquakes, wind. Like he shows up on a mountain and it's thundering and everyone's afraid. Like God's interaction, even with Elijah up to this point, has always been big, miraculous showings of power. You know, fire from heaven and raising people from the dead and miraculous provision. And so Elijah's experience has always been God being this big, powerful, loud amazing thing right and the people of israel have always experienced god in these ways it's a little bit scary and in this situation god like shows him all those things and isn't even in it and then when he does show up he's in this small whisper some translations say um just a a heavy silence or an intense silence so maybe it was a whisper maybe it was like absolutely no sound at all but whatever it was it wasn't how god had ever shown up to the people before and it was something that if you weren't careful, you'd totally miss it. Um, and so that's how God chose to show up to Elijah in this situation. And I think he might be saying something to Elijah about who he is and how to, ex- how to look for God at this point. It's like, look for me where you wouldn't expect to look for me. And when you think I'm not doing anything, that's when I'm actually doing the most. Um, and so... God shows up in this big, powerful thing, and then through the whisper, he asks Elijah again, he's like, why are you here? <laughs> I think it's interesting that he asks the question again, because obviously the first answer didn't satisfy God. So he asks again, and Elijah gives exactly the same response. Like, I mean, word for word. It makes me think that in the 40 days while he was wandering around the desert, that he was just rehearsing this in his head. He's like, okay, if anybody asks me, this is what I'm going to say. You know, like... Um, <laughs> And it's just, it's this whole thing, like, look how good I was, but none of it worked out. And so I'm, you know, it's, I don't know what he was thinking at the time, like, but we know that whatever it is, he wasn't looking to God. He wasn't giving God the glory. Um, he was looking at himself. It was kind of a little pity party he was having with himself. And, um, and I think that God, this story is so full of God's kindness. Like God meets with him and provides him with food. And then he meets with him again and he's like, okay, just ask him a question, a simple question, doesn't correct him. And then again, even when Elisha is like, his heart isn't changing. Like if I was, I could imagine if God was there and he's like, okay, I thought we just went through this. Like, it's like, I ask you the question, you give me an answer. I ask you the question again, you give me the same answer, even after I like demonstrated my power, you know? So, but God doesn't argue with him. He doesn't rebuke him. He just says, um, okay, well, here's what I want you to do then. <laughs> he just gives him something to do. He gives him something to do, and he also reveals to him what God is already doing. Um, and we see that here. He says, um, okay, so get up and go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. So go back to where you were. 
And when you get there, anoint Hazel the king over Syria, and Jehu over Israel, and anoint Elisha to basically take up your place as the prophet. Um, and then he says, and the one who escapes from Hazel, Jehu will put to death. And the one who escapes from Jehu, Elisha will put to death. And then, and then he says, and I've kept 7,000 people who are faithful to me still in Israel. Um, and so it's like God saying, okay, here's the deal. Uh, get up, go do this thing, go back to work where I've already told, you know, like I've given you an assignment, go back and finish the assignment. And then he's like, and I'm going to give you a friend and a helper in Elisha, and I'm going to have justice will be served through these other two kings, and whatever they can't take care of, Elisha will clean up the rest, you know. Um, and I've maintained, like, my people are still here, you know, like I've kept them safe. And um, the, the number 7,000 could be a literal 7,000 Israelites, or because the Bible likes using numbers like 7 and 40. Um, 7,000 could actually, usually, like in prophetic words, a 1,000 just means a whole bunch, and 7 means like perfection. So maybe it was 7,000 like literal people, or maybe it was like just a whole bunch, and like God's God's perfect people, the, the perfect number he's kept from, like his elect, you know? Um, whatever it is, we know that Elijah's not alone, and we know that God has sustained his people and his covenant. And he's done something through Elijah's ministry where Elijah felt like he had failed. God was sustaining something. And, and even in like the quiet stillness where Elijah couldn't see it, or and probably no one could really see what God was doing. God was doing something really amazing and great. And, um, and so I think that this whole story kind of reveals some of that stuff. And there's a few things that I just want to kind of look at that we can take home as... Um, application, I guess, like your next step might be to do one of these things or a bunch of these things. I don't know. So the first one is um, that God just wants us to be honest with him. He invites us into prayer with him, but he wants our prayers to be honest. Um, Elijah's prayers weren't eloquent. They weren't powerful. They were just like weak and desperate. <laughs> and and God heard him and responded. And he met Elijah with kindness and he encouraged Elijah and he, he, and it didn't even disqualify Elijah from continuing work. Like he continued to do what God wanted him to do, even though his prayers were weak. Um, and so whatever you've like, whatever your emotional state is or how, when you don't even feel like praying or don't think you know how to pray, just know that God just wants us to be honest with him. He just wants the conversation and his, his response is always going to be kind and gracious. Um, we see that all through the Bible. God, when he comes and meets with his people, he, he's kind and he's gracious and he's merciful. Um, and that would be true even today, and we know that. And the other thing is that God knows your weakness. Um, so if you, if you just need to have a good meal and take a nap, then it's okay. Like God, God made our physical bodies to need these things, and part of it is to be dependent on him. Um, but it's okay to admit that you're just tired. And you need to sit down and God will meet with you there and he, he will encourage you and he'll provide for your physical needs. We just have to ask. If we just ask, God will be faithful to meet with us. Um, and then it's always good in those situations to remember what God has done. This is where Elijah, I think, failed the most is he didn't go back and recount the glorious things that God had already done. He was just focused on what he thought was a failure and what he thought was not working out the way he planned. But he didn't go back and say, oh God, you know, like you 
did this thing on Mount Carmel and you raised that widow's son from, you know, death and you provided for me in the wilderness. Like, there's all these things he could have gone back and recounted, but instead he, he was just discouraged. But what he did go back to, it's interesting, is he, he got focused on the past, um, on where God had shown up in the past. Like he went to Sinai. He talked about how he wasn't any better than his fathers. So he, he you know, like, okay, here's the failure of all the Israelites who came before me. I'm just as bad as they are. And so I'm going to go back to Sinai to this cave where Moses met with you. And maybe you'll show up there. <laughs> and, and I think that's why God twice said, what are you doing here? Like, cause God's kingdom is always advancing. It's always moving forward. And I think God would have said, Elijah, I was here. I made a covenant here, and then, like, I did this other thing. I was in the tabernacle in the Ark of the Covenant, and then there's the temple, and, and we're moving forward. So, like, don't get caught up in the way things used to be. Um, and I think sometimes we do that, like, when things get hard, we want to go back to what we knew worked before. But, like, what we really need to do is go and say, okay, God, what are you doing right now? And where should I go to meet with you today? Not what worked yesterday or five years ago or whatever. And so nostalgia kind of can grab a hold of us and can rule us and when really we should be looking forward because that's what God's looking to do. He's always looking forward. And um, so don't look back, look forward. And um, I think that we also have to be really careful because Elijah had gotten blinded to, you know, all the things that God had done. And we need to open our eyes. And that's, I think, what God was trying to do with him was like, look, there's 7,000 people that I've retained for myself. Like I still have a people and they're going, they haven't, they haven't given in and they haven't worshiped Baal. They want to worship me. They're just waiting, you know, for the time. And, um, so our perspective oftentimes is like the reason why we get discouraged. Um, we start to look at ourselves become, when you become really inwardly focused, it's easy to get discouraged. Um, but when you're looking out and saying, okay, this is what God's doing. Um, this is what I've seen God do. Then that's where sort of we can like go encourage and we can go and do what God's called us to do. And we can pray with, um, with power, really. I mean, when we're praying and saying, okay, God, we know you're doing something. Show us what it is. Um, and um, it, I think... Like at that time, Ahab and Jezebel were ruling the nation of Israel and they were not following God. And so then everyone like looked to that and thought, oh, well, Israel's over. It's all done. I mean, that's what Elijah thought, right? And for us, I mean, I think it's easy. Like we look at um, who's ruling our nation or the world or, you know, who the people in power right now don't appear like they're seeking after God. Um, or maybe, anyway, the people I've seen don't seem like, <laughs> but, uh, um, but we have to be really, really careful that we don't like let that cloud our vision of who God is and what he's actually doing. Because what we know is that his kingdom is always advancing. And no matter how discouraging we think culture is going and how bad society is getting, we know that at the end of the day, like every knee is going to bow and worship Jesus and that the church is going to continue to grow and the gospel is going to continue to like take cold parts and transform people. And um, so just in Elijah, like as in Elijah's day today, like we need to be encouraged to know that like God held those 7,000 and he, he kept them and he's keeping his church. His, his church is protected. Like God's not going to give up on his church. And um, so those are kind of the things I think we can take away from this is just like generally discouragement is when we forget to look at and, 
acknowledge who God is and we've placed our expectations on him. So when we pray and we place our expectations on God and then he answers the way he wants to answer rather than the way we want him to answer, then we get discouraged. Well, the reality is that God's going to do what he wants to do because he's sovereign, he sees everything, and he's always working, he's always doing something, um, even when we don't see it. And so um, I kind of want to end this time where we just are able to pray for one another. Um, so maybe if everyone stands up, because this will make it easier for people to to respond. And if you're someone who is just feeling really discouraged, maybe about just the world in general, or maybe it's like something specific in your life where you just feel like um, you're just God's not answering your prayer, He's not listening, He's not doing anything. Um, or maybe you just don't, you just feel like your prayers are weak. Um, raise your hand, and people around will you, you know, like lay hands on them, and let's just pray for them. And I'll kind of pray for the whole group. But if you're somebody who feels like you just need prayer in that specific area, put your hand up so that someone else can put their hand on you and there really is power when we pray for one another and that. So um, anyway, dear Lord, I just I thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that we know that you are the victor and that you've overcome. And we're just so thankful, God, that you're you're always working. You're you're doing things even when we can't see it. And um, we're we're amazed when you show up in big, miraculous signs and wonders when you do things that no one can possibly miss and it's got to be your power. Those things are great. and We, we ask for more of that stuff. We want to see more signs and wonders. We want to see people healed and we want to see big breakthroughs, Lord. But we also want to just acknowledge right now that sometimes when you're doing the most is when we don't see you doing anything at all. And just tune our hearts and our ears to hear your still small voice. Help us to meet with you uh, in a way that where we're we're looking for you. We're looking to hear what you have to say. And so, Lord, for those that are discouraged right now, Lord, I pray that you would just go and meet them where they're at, fill their physical needs. Pray that you'd come and meet with them and heal their emotional needs and their spiritual needs, Lord. I pray that you would give each one of us um, new work to do, a ways that we can look outside of ourselves and go and look and see where you're working and what you're doing and get on board with that, Lord. Give us courage. Give us the strength to do that. Um, just pray that you'd speak to us as a, as a whole, that you'd free people from discouragement and from a feeling of weakness. I pray that you would empower our prayers, that over the next few weeks, as we continue to talk about prayer as a community and as we, we plan to pray and fast together, Lord, that you would help our prayers to be strong and bold and that you would hear them and that you would respond well. Help us to pray into the things that you want to do. We want your will to be done. We want your kingdom to come. And we want you to do that in our hearts, in our nation, in our world. And we want us to see people turn to you, just as Elijah did. He wanted to see the people repent and turn to you, Lord. We want to see people repent and turn to you. Um, So do that. Stretch out your hand and do mighty work so that we can see it, but also use us to do your work, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.